0: okay test test hey folks welcome to hello welcome to this rough magic this is a podcast about hey everyone welcome to this rough magic a podcast about the craft of storytelling so my name is Paul Newsom I'm your host um, and I am just a fan of stories uh, I believe on some fundamental level that stories are how we work together and um, And I'm interested in stories because I believe, on some level, that stories are how we work together, how we cooperate. Um, you know, any any organization or collective group of any kind is united on the basis of stories. I mean, if you talk about America, uh, America's united on the idea, you know, the, ide- the ideals of, uh, you know, the American states, uh, of ideas like the American dream a religion like Christianity is united by the story of Christ and by all the stories in the Bible, um, you know, talk about any kind of organization and it's, it's united by stories. And, you know, on an individual level, I think stories are the means by which we understand ourselves. We all tell stories about ourselves and also about, you know, we, we rely on stories to think about, you know, who we want to be and how we want to act, how we want to engage with other people, um. And so stories are, are really the makeup that that describe to us who we are in relation to the other people in the world. Uh, and my goal with this podcast, you know, given that this is the first episode, I just want to give a, a quick kind of thesis statement. Um, my, my goal is to break down the mechanics of stories and um, get into the strategies by which the, the greatest storytellers, people like Shakespeare or Tolstoy or... Um, you know, modern writers like J.K. Rowling or, you know, even authors of children's books like Roald Dahl, um, you know, to get into how they work and what makes their stories so compelling. Um, I think, you know, in each of these cases, you know, uh, they, they've they become popular for a reason, you know, they, they've got a certain art and a magic to what they do. Um, and I, I'm looking to dig into that to understand, try to understand some of why that is. So, given that this is the first episode, I wanted to start off, you know, with something, you know, like a a, a light meal, a light meal, uh, an aperitif, so to speak, um, something short and humble. So I thought, why not start with uh, Chekhov, who is, uh, uh, you know, understood to be perhaps uh, the greatest short story writer of all time. Um, so, if you don't know about Chekhov, um, we're talking about Anton Chekhov he is a Russian writer he lived in the late 19th century born 1860 died 1904 uh, wow he died pretty young uh, I didn't I kind of didn't realize he died so young um, but he's best known for his plays and his short stories um, oftentimes you know I, I'm, I, I'm always scouring the lists of like greatest of, and um, if you look at lists of like the greatest uh, short story writers of all time he's typically at the top um, and if you look at Lists of the greatest playwrights of all time. Um, oftentimes, he's in kind of the top three. It's usually Shakespeare, and then second and third, it's usually between Ibsen and 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 Chekhov. And um, Ibsen and Chekhov were working uh, at around the same time. You know, kind of late nineteenth century, uh, and so obviously quite 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 a bit removed from from Shakespeare, who was working kind of the late fifteen hundreds, early sixteen hundreds. And they, they together kind of represented this, this new modernist uh, uh, aesthetic or ethos when it came to, to playwriting. Um, and uh, one, one of Chekhov's kind of signature uh, innovations in, in, in the theater was this idea of the anti-play, uh, a play essentially where nothing changed, which was you know, a marked difference from, from uh, the plays of Shakespeare, where a lot changed. Um, and we can talk about that on another occasion. But right now, we're talking about stories. So, and, and stories were, were how Chekhov got started in the game. Um, uh, one of the notable facts about Chekhov was the fact that his whole life he was a physician. He was a doctor, um, and that was his primary profession. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, he, he he for much of his life was interested in writing. But uh, he didn't really dedicate much time to it until uh, he he found some success with it, and I feel like there's something instructive in that um, for those of us who are you know like trying to make a go writing. Um, he he got started in in publication when he sent a very short story to kind of a a local journal and got accepted and got some encouragement. Um, Uh, and it was only after he found that little bit of success that he continued to write, continued to submit stories, and then eventually, you know, iteratively, step-by-step became, you know, um, you know, a a very widely published and widely known author. Uh, and the lesson I'm taking from that is just the fact that, like, you know, you gotta start small. You gotta start with something small, and then, you know, once you've found success, that, you know, once you've gotten some feedback, some positive feedback, um, that's a good way of knowing, okay, you know, I've got some success here, something, something about this is working, so I should probably lean into this, um, and so, yeah, going back to that point about him being a physician his whole life, um, he, he, uh, you know, he, he was reported as saying, when, you know, there's this famous quote where he said, medicine is my wife, and writing is my mistress, whenever I tire of one, I go to the other, um, you know, obviously that the way he frames that, that's, he's, he's, a man of his time. And so, you know, I guess mistresses, mistresses might've been a fairly common thing for, for people at that time. But, um, I guess just the notion of, of, of the fact that he had this kind of balance in, in his life, um, where, uh, you know, he, he had a full-time job and, you know, he did writing on his side and, uh, uh, it's, it's not like he didn't, um, value his, his, his work as a physician. He, he prized it you know very dearly, and um, I think the fact of that balance actually comes through in a lot of his writing. Um, he had an interest in people in the same way that he had an interest. You know, ha- had the kind of interest that would have been required of a physician. You know, he he had to pay attention to the way that people lived their lives, and that kind of attentiveness is 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 very much visible in his writing. Um, You know, you can kind of think about uh, the whole 20th century with modernism, postmodernism. You know, the most famous writers of that era. You know, we've got people like James Joyce, Hemingway, uh, Fitzgerald. um, You know, later on, we've got people like Thomas Pynchon. You know, I feel like you can think of that whole century as being a little bit self-obsessed. You know, the, the primary phenomenon of the writer in that age was kind of the writer celebrity, you know, someone like Hemingway really epitomizes this, where, um, on the one hand, he, he wrote stories about people, but the most prominent character in all of Hemingway's canon, I think you can't deny that it's, that it's Hemingway himself, you know, uh, when you think about Hemingway, you think about Hemingway, you th- you don't think about his characters, um, and the same with James Joyce, you know, like, you think about James Joyce, not his characters. Um, and you think about his characters only insofar as uh, the person of James Joyce comes through his characters. I mean, uh, um, Bloom, Leopold Bloom in Ulysses, uh, you know, he, he really is kind of a stand-in for, for, um, for James Joyce himself in the same way that Nick Adams is a stand-in for Hemingway himself. Um, and I think you know that's an interesting model that I'm gonna dig into later. I think that's a really compelling kind of way to go about being a writer um but i you know I bring those examples up uh you know to to serve as counterpoint to what Chekhov was about. you know both in his i, I both in his plays and and his stories, I think you know he's very much obsessed with other people and and how they're different from other people, you know um, in some senses the story is not worth writing for Chekhov unless he's got kind of an interesting character to to tell that story about. Same with his plays. You know, a play is an interesting medium and for a lot of people it just doesn't stick. A lot of writers just can't make plays work. I mean, notably James Joyce, you know, he wrote some plays that were unsuccessful. Um, And I think it speaks to this fact that, like, you kind of can't get away with writing a play unless the characters themselves are alive. You know, they have to kind of stand for themselves. And, it takes a writer of a certain kind of sensibility to make that work. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that oftentimes, uh, you know, our most famous playwrights are socialists, you know, or people who are socially minded, uh, because there's the people who are, you know, their focus is on other people raz- rather than themselves, right? Um, and Chekhov was, was definitely a writer of that ilk. Um, and so, you know, again, he was most famous for his short stories and his, and his plays. Um, and, uh, when it comes to his short stories, I mean, he's often um, described as being kind of the grandfather, the father, the progenitor of the modern short story. And it's often said that, you know, the modern short story owes owes all of itself to, you know, to Chekhov. Um, and, I, you know, I had heard that a number of times. Like, I got to be honest, like, I don't completely understand why that is. Um, I think I would need to know a little bit more about, you know, short story, read a little bit more comprehensively to understand that. But I think at the, the essence of it is kind of this notion of the model of a short story, you know, like what is a short story? Um uh, for for Chekhov, um, and I think we'll we'll, we'll get a sense for this. I'm gonna read a short story called The Huntsman in in just a little bit, uh, and we can kind of talk about it. But uh but I think the essence of it is that it, it it's both kind of um what a short story is, the the idea of what a short story is and what it isn't, you know. Um a short story by definition is unambitious right it's not trying to be a whole big long you know meaningful impactful all-inclusive story right um a, a writer uh you know i forget who it was that said this but a writer once said that the novel is an exploding universe and a short story is an imploding universe um and I love that comment because it, it really kind of captures, I think, the essence of the short story in the style of Chekhov, what, what a short story is like. You get the sense that even before, even e- by the time that the story is started, it's already begun to end. Um, that notion of an imploding universe. Um, and it's it's by definition kind of unambitious. It's uh, it's It's almost just a sketch of a moment and nothing more, you know uh a brief moment in time a couple of characters you know a you know a little bit of interaction and then it's over you know that that's what a short story is um and you know i, I think the point of it is that it's you're expressing something you know and i think about this relative to basically any medium whether you're talking about a short story or a film or a novel um it's, it's an idea that can be expressed only in the form that it's expressed, right? You can't translate or transcribe. Uh, you can't translate a short story, right? It is what it is. You can't express the same sentiment, the same idea in an essay. It just can't be done, right? The same with a novel. Um, and the concision is integral to the the, the, the medium of the short story. Um so that's that's a few comments. Um, I'm sure there's stuff that I meant to, to mention, but that I missed. But um, for the time being, I'm just gonna read this story and then talk a little bit about afterwards. But um, but here's the story. It's called The Huntsman. Uh, it's by Anton Chekhov. It was published in 1885. And here we go. A sultry and stifling day. Not a cloud in the sky. The sun-scorched grass looks bleak, hopeless. There may be rain, but it will never be green again. The forest stands silent, motionless, as if its treetops were looking off somewhere or waiting for something. A tall, narrow-shouldered man of about forty, in a red shirt, parched gentleman's trousers and big boots, lazily saunters along the edge of the clearing. He saunters down the road to his right are green trees to his left all the way to the horizon stretches a golden sea of ripe rye his face is red and sweaty a white cap with a straight jockey's visor apparently the gift of some generous squire sits dashingly on his handsome blonde head over his shoulder ha- hangs a game bag with a gr- over his shoulder hangs a game bag with a crumpled black grouse in it The man is carrying a cocked, double-barreled shotgun and squinting his eyes at his old skinny dog, who runs ahead, sniffing about in the bushes. It is quiet. Not a sound anywhere. Everything is alive. Everything alive is hiding from the heat. Yegor Vlasic, the the hunter, suddenly hears a soft voice. He gives a start and turns around, scowling. Beside him, as if sprung from the ground, stands a pale-faced woman of about thirty with a sickle in her hand. She tries to peer into his face and smiles shyly. "'Ah, it's you, Pelagaya,' says the hunter, stopping and slowly uncocking his gun. "'Hm, how did you turn up here?' "'The women from our village are working here, so I'm here with them. "'Hired help, Yegor Vlasic.' "'So,' Yegor Vlasic grunts and slowly goes on. Pelagaya follows him. They go about twenty steps in silence. I haven't seen you for a long time, Yegor Vlasic,' says Pelageya, gazing tenderly at the hunter's moving shoulders and shoulder blades. You stopped at our cottage for a drink of water on Easter Day, and we haven't seen you since. You stopped for a minute on East. You stopped for a minute on Easter Day, and that God knows how, in a drunken state, you swore at me, beat me, and left. I've been waiting and waiting. I've looked my eyes out, waiting for you, eh, Yegor Vlasich, Yegor Vlasic!' Jäger Vlasic. If you'd only come one little time. What's there for me to do at your place? There's nothing to do there, of course. Just anyway, that the household, things to be seen to. You're the master. Look at you, shot a grouse, Yegor Vlasich. Why don't you sit down and rest? As she says all this, Pelageya laughs like a fool and looks up at Yegor's face. Her own face breathes happiness. Sit down. Why not? Yegor Vlasic says in an indifferent tone and picks a spot between two pine saplings. Why are you standing? Sit down, too. Pelagey sits down a bit further away in a patch of sun and, ashamed of her joy, covers her smiling mouth with her hand. Two minutes pass in silence. If you'd only come one little time, Pelagey says softly. What for? sighs Yegor, taking off his cap and wi- wiping his red forehead with his sleeve. There's no need to stop by for an hour or two, dally around, get you stirred up. And my soul can't stand living all the time in the village. You know I'm a spoiled man. I want, a, I want there to be a bed, a good tea, a delicate conversation. I want to have all the degrees, and the village there you've got poverty, soot. I couldn't even live there a day. Suppose they issued a degree that I absolutely had to live with you. I'd either burn down the cottage or lay hands on myself. From early on, I've been spoiled like this. There's no help for it. Where do you live now? at the Squire Dmitri Ivanitch at the Squire Dmitri Ivanitch as a hunter? I furnish game for his table, but it's more like he keeps me because he's pleased to. It's not a dignified thing to do. Yegor Vlasich for people, it's just toying, but for you, it's a like a trade, a, a real occupation. You don't understand, stupid Yegor says says Yegor, dreamily looking at the sky. In all your born days, you've never understood and never will understand what kind of man I am. To you, I'm a crazy, lost man. But for somebody who understands, I'm the best shot in the whole district. The people feel it and even printed something about me in a magazine. Nobody can match me in the line of hunting. And if I score your village occupations, it's not because I'm spoiled or proud. Right from infancy, you know, I've never known any occupation but guns and dogs. Take away my gun, I'll get a fishing pole. Take away the fishing pole, I'll hunt bare Well, and I also did some horse trading, roamed around the fairs whenever I had some money. And you know yourself, if any peasant gets in with hunters and horse traders, it's goodbye to the plow. Once a free spirit settles in a man, there's no getting it out of him. It's like when a squire goes to the actors or to some other kind of artistry. Then for him, there's no being an official or a landowner. You're a woman, you don't understand, and it takes understanding." I understand, Yegor Vlasich. Meaning you don't understand since you're about to cry. I I'm not crying, says Pelageya turning away. It's a sin, Yegor Vlasich. You could spend at least one little day with me, poor woman. It's been 12 years since I married you and never once has there been any love between us. I I I'm not crying. Love, Yegor mutters, scratching his arm. There can't be any love. It's just a name that we're man and wife, but it's—but it, is it really so? For you, I'm a wild man. For me, you're a simple woman with no understanding. Do we make a couple? I'm free, spoiled, loose, and you're a barefoot farm worker. You live in dirt. You never straighten your back. I think like this about myself, that I'm first in the line of hunting, but you look at me with pity. What kind of couple are we? We were married in church, Yegor Vlasic, sobs. Not freely. Did you forget? You can thank Count Sergei Pavlich and yourself. The Count was envious that I was a better shot than he was, kept me drunk for a whole month, and a drunk man can not only be married off, but can even be seduced into a different faith. In revenge, he up and married me to you, a huntsman to a cowgirl. You could see I was drunk. Why did you marry me? You're not a serf. You could have told him no. Of course, a cowgirl's lucky to marry a huntsman, but we need to be reasonable. Well, so now you can suffer and cry. It's a joke for the count, but you cry. Beat your head on the wall. Silence ensues. Three wild ducks fly over the clearing. Yegor looks at them and follows them with his eyes until they turn into three barely visible specks and go down far beyond the forest. How do you live? he asks, shifting his eyes from the ducks to Pelageya. I go out to work now, and in winter I take a baby from the orphanage and nurse him with a bottle. They give me a ruble and half a month. So, again, silence. From the harvested rose comes a soft song, which breaks off at the very beginning. It is too hot for singing. They say you put up a new cottage for Aculina, says Pelageya. Yegor is silent. It means she is after your own heart. That's just your luck, your fate, says the hunter, stretching. Bear with it, orphan. But anyhow, goodbye, we've talked too much. I've got to make it to Boltova by evening. Yegor stretches, Yegor gets up, stretches, shoulders his gun. Pelageya stands up. And when will he come to the village? She asks softly. No point, I'll never come sober, and when I'm drunk there's not much profit for you. I get angry when I'm drunk. Goodbye. Goodbye, Yegor Vlasich. Yegor puts his cap on the back of his head and, clucking for his dog, continues on his way. Pelagea stands where she is and looks at his back. She sees his moving shoulder blades, his dashing head, his lazy, nonchalant stride, and her eyes fill with sadness and de- a tender caress. Her gaze moves to the tall, skinny figure of her husband and caresses and fondles it. He seems to feel this gaze, stops, looks back. He is silent, but Pelageya can see from his face, from his raised shoulders, that he wants to say something to her. He timidly goes up to him and looks at him with imploring eyes. For you, he says, turning away. He hands her a worn rouble, and quickly walks off. Goodbye, Yegor Vlasich, she says, mechanically accepting the rouble. He walks down the long road straight as a stretched-out belt. She stands pale, motionless as a statue, and catches his every step with her eyes. But now, the red color of his shirt merges with the dark color of his trousers. His steps can no longer be seen. The dog is indistinguishable from his boots. Only his visored cap can still be seen, but suddenly Yegor turns sharply into the right in the clearing, and the cap disappears into the greenery. Goodbye, Yegor Vlasich. Pelagea whispers and standers on tiptoe so as to see the last of his white cat. To see the white cat one more time. So that is The Huntsman by Anton Chekhov. So yeah, it's um, you know, it's a small, short, unassuming story about two characters, and um you know, I think It's one of those stories where, um, I feel like if you have this story in class, in English class, um, you can't help saying like, oh, you know, what's the big deal? You know, it's just a story. It's just a story, you know, uh, a story about two people. Um, why are we making a big deal out of it? And I think that's kind of just the point, you know? I think Chekhov would have kind of said the same thing where it's, it's just a story. You know, it's, there's nothing much to it. It's just a description of two individuals and the dynamic they have. Um, but, uh, but, but that's just kind of the point, you know, I think about that, you know, with regard to, you know, uh, haiku too, um, you know, when you learn something in, in a class like, uh, uh, you know, a literature class, there's kind of a a de facto assumption where it's like, oh, you know you know, you should pay attention to this, you should learn something about this, this is consequential, you know, um, but I think, honestly, that's kind of the reverse, you know, the opposite of the message you should be getting with, um, with something like a, a short story by Chekhov or a haiku by Basho, you know, the, the the whole point kind of is that there's not much to it, you know, and, um, you know, that said, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of artistry at work here, you know, in, in the fact that you know, we've only got—I um, don't know how many hundreds of words this is, but it can't be more than a thousand, a thousand or so words. And uh, we've got, you know, the perfect um, encapsulation of this dynamic between these two characters. Um, so, on the one hand, we've got Yegor, the the huntsman, um, who is the quintessential—you wouldn't—you wouldn't call him—you um, wouldn't call him a ladies' man, but you would call him, you know, a wandering, restless soul of a man. Um, a man who is not content to be tied down, um, which in many ways, you know, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a, a archetype that you see in, in many men and in many men, men, characters. Um, and then on the other hand, you get, uh, you know, Pelagea, who is, you know, in so many ways represents the tied down woman, you know, uh, she is a cowgirl, you know, obviously cows, you know, represent, um represent femininity in in a lot of ways they're you know most known for you know their production of milk and uh you know there's the other note about Pelagia you know taking on an orphan just to nurse during the winter that's that's uh you know another thing representative of femininity of maternity um and uh you know she she she's she's kind of um you know uh, settle down in a house and and just wants you know this this man to come and 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 stay in 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 the house and um you know i, I think i think uh you know that's the beauty of of the technique that's at work here is that you know every, everything every small little detail about uh about these two characters about Yegor and about Pelagey works towards painting the picture of this dynamic and how they're different and the tension between them, which is that Pelagia wants him to settle down with her. And, and Yegor does not want to settle down. He's a huntsman. He goes out and hunts. Um, Pelague, you know, wants him to settle down. She's, uh, you know, she's, they're married, you know, they, they've, they've, uh, you know, you know, the, the circumstances that marriage admittedly were a little bit, um, unfortunate but but she, you know they're married in the church and she wants him to settle down she wants to have a kid right um the fact that she wants to have a kid is uh is represented in the fact that she takes a you know a, a baby from the orphanage um and and so those those are the kind of the the broad strokes of the story, um, and you could get into kind of all the minor details of this story, um, that serve to, to paint this picture, you know, everything from, you know, one of the things that I noticed just, just in this reading was how many times, um, uh, the hunter's shoulders are referenced, you know, and, uh, you know, what do the shoulders represent? Shoulders are just a very, I suppose, masculine feature, and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, the fact that in, in our language, in English, you know, to shoulder a burden, you know, that that's that's what we associate with shoulders is is kind of strength and uh, and, and the ability to kind of to, to bear weight um, that 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 is, you know, in many ways what the Huntsman represents. Um and you know all all the times that that Pelagia mentions things, uh, uh, you know she, she's always mentioned as having you know uh, you know saying things delicately or crying you know or uh, you know speaking tentatively, um, uh, and and also about just uh, you know if you're if if you're talking about if you were to stage this as as a, as a ten minute play, you know the. Uh, the blocking, you know, the the way that the characters are positioned, it's always, uh, you know, Yegor is making a beeline. He barely stops. You know, Pe- he stops for a moment and sits down, but that's the only concession he makes to Pelage. He stops and sits for a moment, but she's always the one, you know, supplicating. She's always the one pleading with him, uh, trying to get him to stop, trying to get him to to turn to her. Um, and at the very end, we have, you know, of course, the the one, um, uh, you know, minor and and even like insulting concession that that Yegor makes to to Pelage is to hand her a worn ruble that's all he can give to her that's all he's willing uh to concede to her is this one worn ruble uh in in recognition of the fact that they're married you know um um so so you know i i don't want to belabor this story um I, you know but but i think it is kind of a beautiful example of of kind of What a short story is, and and what a modern short story, you know, in in the style of Chekhov is, it's, it's a simple, small story depicting this dynamic between these two characters, Um, this push and pull, Pelageya trying to pull, uh, Yegor trying to push away, Um, and and everything in this short story serves to to emphasize that dynamic. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't talk about the fact that we don't learn until, you know, half or two thirds of the way through the story that they're married, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that obviously was meant to be kind of a, you know, a reveal, you know, it's like, like why, you know, like what, what you know, cause up until that moment, you might be thinking like, why wow, why is this woman like bothering this guy? You know, like, you know, do, do they know each other from Adam and or from Eve, you know, like what's the big deal? Um and then we learn, well, they're married, (laughs) she has a very good reason to be, you know, pulling on his coat sleeve, so to speak, so, um, so that, you know, um, you know, that, that again, you know, beautiful kind of technique there, um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so, you know, again, uh, you know, simple story, you know, but, uh, but this is the kind of thing that I, that I want to cover in, in this podcast. And, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about just the technique of these stories. And sometimes I'll read excerpts or, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's not going to be possible to read a whole story, uh, or, or a whole work because, um, you know, that, that was, you know, about, about as short, uh, about as short as a story gets, but, um, um, but uh but yeah you know I, th- I think uh we're gonna wrap for today that's the pot um and uh you know next time uh, i'm not sure exactly what i'm gonna cover but uh probably something along the same lines so thank you so much for joining um uh i hope you'll uh give me some feedback if, if you like this or if there's uh something i can do to improve and obviously i'm gonna be figuring this out as i go along i i appreciate you bearing with me uh i hope i can kind of refine the format of this podcast and get better at um at at, at doing you know doing the talking as we go along so thank you uh see you next time this is Paul signing off